Hebrews, we have been, my name is Mike, by the way, I'm the interim pastor here, and uh, welcome to all of you who are watching on live stream. It's good to have you tuning in with us as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews. Um, the reason that we're looking at Hebrews is that Hebrews was written to a group of people who needed to press on by faith, and Grace Church is a church that needs to press on by faith, not look back, not go back, but go forward. And so I think that Hebrews is a great book for us to be looking at together. Today we are in Hebrews chapter 6. So turn to chapter 6. We're looking at verses 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. Let me uh, read it to you as you listen to God's Word. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we pray now that you'll come and help us to understand this passage and to apply it to our lives and to be changed by it so that we grow more and more into the image of Christ, grow more and more in love with Christ, more and more in love with our neighbor, that we might represent you in this world that so desperately needs to know Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes life is like a stormy sea. You know what I mean? Wave after wave after wave crushing down upon us. I know a person I'll call Janet. It's not her real name, but she's a friend of mine, and she and her husband were missionaries in Africa for a number of years. Then they moved back here to the U.S. so that they could work out of their mission headquarters. Well, one Sunday, Janet's husband, Bob, was playing basketball, which he did almost every Sunday afternoon. But this time, while Bob was playing basketball, he had a massive heart attack. He fell on the floor, um, fell on the court. They tried to do something for him. They called 911, but there was nothing the EMTs could do. Bob was a fairly young man, but in just a few minutes, Bob was gone. Janet and her children were devastated. They didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. 
Ten years went by. God brought a, a kind man, a widower, into Janet's orbit. They dated for a little while, and then they decided to get married, Janet and Alan. But one of Janet's kids was offended that her mom would even think about marrying another man. She didn't like Alan and strongly objected to the marriage. But Janet and Alan were in love. Alan loved the Lord. It had been a decade since Bob had died. And so, in 2014, Alan and Janet were married. Janet's daughter turned her back on Janet and wanted nothing more to do with her. Even today, they no longer speak. And then two years into their marriage, Alan went to the doctor and found out he had stage four cancer. It took three long, hard, excruciating years for the cancer to take Alan home to Jesus. As I said, suffering often comes in waves, right? Stormy sea, wave after wave, loss after loss after loss in Janet's life. Now, you may not have endured those kinds of tragedies, but I'm sure that if we went around the room today, everybody here could tell a story. A time when you felt alone or sad or afraid or maybe even hopeless. So what should you do when the storms of life come your way? How do you handle them? How do you respond? This passage of Hebrews that I read says, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Instead, as it says in verse 18, hold fast to the hope set before you. And you want to say, well, how do you do that? Well, that's what we want to learn today. Let me bring you three things this morning. I want to show you first the example of Abraham and then the character of God And finally, the pathway to hope. The example of Abraham, the character of God, and the pathway to hope. First, the example of Abraham. Let's look at verses 13 through 15. There's a reason that in this passage of Scripture, the author of Hebrews wants to tell us about Abraham. Think about it with me for a moment. Based on everything, if you've been in this series for a while, based on what you know about Hebrews you know that this was a letter written to Jewish Christians. These people have been steeped in the Old Testament. They know all of the stories about Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets and all the other characters of the Old Testament. They grew up going to the temple and bringing their animals to the priest for sacrifice. They know all of the rules of the Old Covenant, the ceremonial laws that are written there in the Old Testament. But then sometime before, these people heard the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heard that Jesus had died on the cross and rose again to be the perfect and final sacrifice for sin. He was the great high priest. He was greater than Aaron, the high priest, as we've talked about. He's the savior of both Jew and Gentile. They heard all these things and they turned from their Judaism and embraced 
the good news of Christ as Savior and Lord. But now, what's going on? Now they're being persecuted for their faith. The Roman government under Nero, the emperor, is making their lives very difficult. They're being punished, these Christians are. They're being punished for their faith. Some have even died for their faith. And from the other side, their old Jewish friends are telling them, come back to the temple and your problems are over. Come back to Judaism, they said to them. You don't need Jesus. It'll be safer and it'll be easier for you if you turn your back on Christianity and follow after Father Abraham again. And the author of this letter is saying in every single chapter, over and over again, don't do that. Don't let go of Christ. Why? Because Jesus is greater. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Jesus is superior to anything and everything you had under the Old Testament. He's greater, chapter 1, than the angels. He's greater, chapter 3, than Moses. He uh, gives a rest, a kind of rest, that is better than the rest that Joshua gave you, chapter 4. And Jesus' high priesthood is greater than the high priest of Aaron, chapter 5. Well, now see, that brings us to chapter 6, where we are today and where we were last week. And if you were here last week, you heard the very, very stern warning that is in chapter 6 of Hebrews, which said, if you turn your back on Jesus, you run the risk of falling under the eternal judgment of God. If you were here last week, you you heard that very harsh, very scary warning to those who were professors of Jesus, but not possessors of Jesus, right? If you remember what we learned last week. So that brings us to verse 12, the verse right before the verses that I read today. Verse 12 said, don't let that happen, that judgment of God. Don't let that happen. Press on by faith. Don't be sluggish. The writer says, don't turn back, but instead, look at verse 12, imitate. You see that word imitate? Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now do you see why the author wants to talk about Abraham? Who better, right? Who better to talk about to a group of Jewish professing Christians steeped in the Old Testament Who better to talk about than a hero of their faith, namely Abraham, who stayed with God and didn't turn back? The author is pointing to Abraham as one of the heroes of the past who stayed true and persevered through trial. And the author is saying, imitate that guy. (laughs) Imitate Abraham who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Now, you know, I don't know all of you so well as to say that you know everything there is to know about Abraham. So let's have a refresher course. Sometimes we need a refresher course in some of these things. Let me tell you three big things you need to know about Abraham in order to really understand this passage of Scripture today, okay? Three big things. Big thing number one. When Abraham was 75 years old, he and his his wife was 65, he and his wife uh, were called by God to leave the place of their birth, which was Ur of the Chaldees, and go to Canaan, which we know better as the Promised Land, or Judea, uh, or Palestine. 
And God in Genesis 12 gave Abraham a promise. The promise was, I will make you a great nation, Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of earth will be blessed. That was the promise God gave Abraham in Genesis 12. So, Abraham believes the promise. If you read about it, he believed the promise. He obeyed God's call and he went to Canaan with his wife and his nephew Lot and all of their possessions and all of their servants and all of their animals. That's big thing number one. Number two. Second thing you need to know about Abraham. Let's skip forward a few years to Genesis 15. Abraham is now a hundred years old. He's living in the promised land, but he and his wife Sarah still have no children. I mean, they're too old to have kids, right? They're old, and so they have no kids. But now God comes again, and he makes a covenant with Abraham. He takes him outside, and he says, look up into the sky, Abraham. Look up and see if you can count the stars. See those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. And he says to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And God confirms his promise in Genesis 15 by taking some animals and cutting them in half and laying them out on the ground and walking between the pieces by means of a smoking fire pot. And God in that passage is actually making a covenant with Abraham, a promise saying, if I break my promise to you, if I don't give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, then you can split me in pieces just like these animals. That was the way God confirmed His covenant promise with Abraham. Well, guess what? Abraham believes the promise once again. And sure enough, at the age of 90, Sarah conceives a child and gives birth to who? Isaac, that's right. Isaac is the child of promise. That's big thing number two. Third thing you need to know about Abraham. Let's skip ahead a few more years to Genesis 22. Abraham is now 110, maybe 115 years old. Isaac, his son, the son of promise, is a young teenager. God tells Abraham to take that boy, Isaac, his only son, to the top of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there to the Lord. An amazing thing to tell somebody, a parent. Abraham wakes up early in the morning, it says. He walks up Mount Moriah with Isaac. He builds an altar. He ties his son to the altar. He reaches out with his knife raises it in the air and is about to bring it down into the body of his son when the angel of the Lord says to Abraham in a loud voice, Abraham, stop! Don't kill your son. Now I know that you fear God. And Abraham looks up and at that moment sees a ram caught in a thicket. And he offers up that ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. It was never God's intent to have his son be the burnt offering. It was the ram that God was providing. And the angel of the Lord, in Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven. And these are the words that you need to remember to get this passage right. 
The angel of God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And once again, just like the other two times, Abraham believes the promise of God. That's big thing number three. Now you're ready for this passage of Scripture that I started off with. In verse 13 it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Think about it. Everything that I've been talking about. When the deck was stacked against Abraham. When the science was against him. When he was 75 years old living in Ur of the Chaldees. When he was 100 years old and still didn't have any children. And even on the top of Mount Moriah when he was about to sacrifice his one and only son, Abraham believed the promise of God. All those years, all those years, Abraham held on. He clung tenaciously to the promise that he would be the father of many nations and have descendants as numerous as the stars in the night sky. That's, friends, that's what you call faith and patience. Faith, what is that? Faith, trusting, believing, being persuaded that what God had said he would do, he would surely do. And patience. What is patience? Waiting. Waiting. Not growing cynical. Not turning away. Not giving up hope. But waiting on God's timing. There are people in this room right now who are still waiting for something they've asked God to do. Clinging to the promise that God has given you. That's the example of Abraham. What a great man, right? Be like Abraham. That's the message of this passage. Is that right? Is that how you read the Bible? You shouldn't. No. Abraham was not a perfect example. He was a man of faith, yes. He was a man of patience. And we do want to imitate him. But he was not perfect. You know what Abraham did? Not once, but twice. Unbelievably, he told people that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister um, instead of his wife. So they could take her instead of killing him. He put his wife's life at risk to save his own skin. Two different times in the book of Genesis. Not only that, but Abraham had a baby with Hagar because he and Sarah figured they had to help God out. To bring his promises to fulfillment. See, Abraham was a sinner. He was a sinner just like you and me. He had problems. Abraham struggled. So this passage is not really so much about the example of Abraham as it is about the character of God. The character of God. Let's talk about that. The reason Abraham trusted God's promise. The reason that he was a man of faith and who patiently waited for the promise to be fulfilled, is not that he was a great guy. 
but that he had a great God. He knew something about God. He knew that God, like I was telling Ellison and Alexandra a little while ago, he knew that God cannot lie. He knew that God is incapable of lying. What God has promised, he will not and cannot fail to do. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. This is the character of God. Verse 17 says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Notice that phrase, two unchangeable things. Do you wonder what he's talking about there? It's the promise and the oath. Those are the two unchangeable things that are mentioned here. The promise that God gave Abraham and the oath that he took to confirm it. He swore, I'm going to do what I told you I would do. Now, let's talk a little bit about swearing because I was taught to never swear. Uh, we're not talking about using swear words, right? We're talking about taking oaths and making vows. And in fact, the Bible even cautions us against making vows. It says that it's better not to vow than to make a vow and not follow through, right? But sometimes you have to take an oath. Sometimes you have to swear. For example, what do you think of when you think of someone uh, swearing in our day and time? A courtroom. Yeah, you think of a courtroom. A, a person places his or her hand on a Bible, raises his or her hand and says, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Another example is when you have to sign certain documents. And you'll notice next to the signature line, it says, upon, upon penalty of perjury. Right? I swear or I, I promise that uh, what, I have, what I'm signing in this document is the truth. So when you take an oath, what you're doing is you're swearing by something greater than yourself. Something objective. Something permanent like, so help me God. See, that's, that's, a, that's an oath. You're taking an oath uh, on the basis of God's, God's character. Or you put your hand on the Bible. Or you might have heard someone say, I swear on my mother's grave. You know, don't do that. But that's what they're doing. They're, they're swearing or taking an oath on something greater than themselves. You, you swear by some power or some authority that's bigger than you. But there is no one greater than God. That's the highest authority, Right? And so God, when He swears, He swears by Himself. God is perfect and holy and just and true. He cannot lie. That's why Abraham kept the faith. That's why Abraham persevered and held on to hope. And that is why you can do the same thing. Because God swears by Himself to be true to what He has told you He will do. So what do you do with this passage? We've seen the example of Abraham. We've seen the character of God. Let me show you now the pathway to hope. 
Because everybody in this room needs to know, how can I navigate the stormy seas of life? Listen, if it hasn't already crashed upon you, it will. There are going to be things that will happen in your life that you may not be able to sit here today and predict. There are plenty of stories in this room that can tell you and attest to the fact that life is a stormy sea. It's not a tranquil little pond. The storms of life are going to crash upon you. And so you need to know how to have hope. Here it is. Here it is. The pathway to hope is to do what Abraham did. Believe the promises of God and wait for their fulfillment. Easy to say. Harder to do. Believe the promise of God. That's the faith side. And wait until they're fulfilled. That's the patience side. Let's say you're worried about the future. Well, there's a promise for that. Cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fail. That's Psalm 55, 22. Let's say you don't know where the money's going to come from. Well, there's a promise for that. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. Let's say you're worried about your child who has wandered from the faith. There's a promise for that. It's Genesis 17.7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. Here's another one, Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your house. Let's say you feel unsafe. Well, there's a promise for that. It's Isaiah 43.2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Or maybe you feel alone. There's a promise for that. So do not fear, Isaiah 41.10, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's say you doubt that God will ever save that non-Christian friend that you've been witnessing to. There's a promise for that. It's Isaiah 59.1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. What if you doubt the power of your prayers? There's a promise for that. It's Proverbs 15.29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Here's another one. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5.16. Here's another. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7.7. Let's say you regret the mistakes of your past. There's a promise for that. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake and I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43, 25. 
Let's say you keep struggling with a certain sin and you think you're just ready to give up. You'll never get over that one. There's a promise for that. Romans 6, 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. What if you're afraid that you'll never change or get any better? There's a promise for that. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 What if you need God to give you wisdom for a certain decision you need to make? Is there a promise for that? Yes. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. What if you're worried about that things are just getting worse and worse, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and the gospel will not prevail? Is there a promise for that? Yes, Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What if you fear that God is going to reject you in the end? Is there a promise for that? Yes, For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 38 and 39. What if you wonder if all of this stuff is really true? Is there a promise for that? Yes. It is impossible For God to what? Lie. Lie. See, friends, the promises of God are your anchor in a stormy sea. God has sworn to bless you. He's made a covenant with you through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And the guarantee of that promise is what? The cross. Verse 20 of our text says that Jesus has gone behind the curtain... In heaven, He died for your sins, rose again, ascended to heaven as your forerunner, it says in verse 20. And He is now your faithful, good, and loving high priest. And because He's your forerunner, He's inviting you to follow Him. And one day you will inherit all the promises, all of them. Now is the waiting room. There is the fulfillment. And so God is inviting you and me today to live above our fears, above our regrets, above our doubts. He's saying, one day you'll inherit these promises and you'll be with me forever. In the meantime, trust me, believe me, and wait my timing. Hold fast to the hope set before you. I started off talking about my friend Janet. Remember, lost her husband, lost the relationship with her daughter, lost her second husband. I emailed Janet and I asked her, I told her I'd be talking about her story this morning. And I asked her this question. Janet, has there been a promise from God in the Bible that has brought you comfort and strength to keep you going in spite of these losses that you've experienced? And Janet said, yes. In fact, she told me the story that as she was driving to the high school where her husband lay on the floor dying, 
Joshua 1.9 came to her mind. And it's been with her ever since. You know what that says? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The promises of God are your anchor in your stormy sea. Believe them and wait patiently for them to come to pass. And I'm actually going to give you an assignment today. Here's your, you want some homework? Here's your homework. I want you to do two things. Maybe today, maybe sometime this week. First, I'd like you to think about a situation that you're facing. Something that's causing you fear or worry or loneliness or regret or sadness. Some kind of pain. That's the first thing. Second thing to do is search in the Bible for a promise from God that addresses that situation. That says something true about Him that He says about you. Memorize that promise or write it down on a card and put it up in a place where you can see it. Think about it every day. Think about it as you go through your day, as you're driving in the car. Pray that promise back to God and see if that promise won't become the anchor to deal with that situation and bring you hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the promises that you've planted throughout your word, the Bible. And we're going to now claim that you said these things and you cannot lie. So, Father, we hold to that anchor. We hold on to that hope. Help us, God, to believe what you've said and to wait patiently as you bring those things to pass. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.